stragglers to the sanctuary here. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this body of believers, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. Help me, Lord Jesus, to teach what you'd have me to teach, Lord God, that people would understand the principles that you've brought to us. Thank you for this day. Bless everyone here, and bless those that couldn't make it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, today my lesson's called The Compassionate Traveler, A Parable of Jesus. A year or two ago, I found an insightful book on interpreting Jesus' parables titled Interpreting the Parables, <laughs> second edition by Craig L. Lombard. I have it here. Um, I thought his principles might make a good lesson, but when looking into it, I really didn't have time to prepare that much, and the truth of the matter is it's not a thin book. It might be a series of lessons. So instead, I thought I'd just teach on one parable. Um, but I'm not using the traditional name for it, uh, which is not part of the book's method, but um, you'll see why I did that later. Um, I have a handout, but I wanted to show this video and have this introduction before you guys um, started reading the, the handout. Um, so while the I have a uh, Bible Project video to show, and while that's showing, um, uh, Pastor Tim's going to pass out the handout. Jesus of Nazareth was a master teacher, and some of his most well-known teachings are told in short stories called parables. Yeah, like, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for pearls, and when he found the ultimate pearl, he sold everything so that he could buy it. He must have had some pretty good pearl. Or, the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed that a farmer planted in his garden. It grew and became a huge tree, and birds came to perch in its branches. And that's a beautiful image, but... What does it mean? Exactly. Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Rather, he wanted to provoke the imagination and invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. So let's talk about how to read the parables of Jesus. Now there's many great teachers that throughout history have used stories to teach students about morality, religion, philosophy. But Jesus didn't use his parables to teach abstract religious or moral ideals. He said that his parables were about himself and his mission. His mission, which was to announce that the kingdom of God was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So in Jesus' day, the Israelites were ruled by the Roman Empire. But their scriptures promised that one day, their God would come to rule his people as king. And so many Israelites wanted to revolt against Rome and fight for their freedom. And this is what some people thought of as the kingdom of God. Exactly. But Jesus was a poor, traveling prophet, healing the sick, inviting people to follow him. And he said that this was the arrival of God's kingdom. And that didn't fit people's expectations. Right. And so Jesus used some parables to help people imagine that his small movement was the arrival of God's kingdom. Oh yeah, like the parable that the kingdom of God is yeast hidden in a lump of dough. And you might not see its influence, but it's going to change everything. Jesus also told parables about the upside-down values of God's kingdom, about how the least important people in the world are actually the most important people to God, especially those who are poor and of low status. Yeah, like the parable about the business owner who hired workers throughout the day, in the morning, later in the day, and even towards the end of the day. And when it was time to pay everyone, he paid them all the same wage. Right, Jesus is showing how money and status are irrelevant to God. 
who offers his generous mercy to everybody. Now, not all of the parables have happy endings. Some are really tense. Yes, Jesus stood in the tradition of Israel's prophets, who also told parables to criticize Israel's leaders because they mistook their kingdom for God's. So Jesus warned the leaders of his death, if they don't accept his offer of God's kingdom, they're headed for destruction. Yeah, like the parable of the landowner, who built a wonderful vineyard, and he expects it to produce fruit. Yes, Jesus gets this parable from the prophet Isaiah, but then he adapts it. Right, so the landowner appoints managers to take care of this vineyard, and at harvest, he sends servants to collect the fruit, but those managers kill the servants. So the landowner sends his own son to confront the managers, and they kill him too. And so Jesus asked the people around him, what do you all think this landowner should do? Oh, he's going to punish those managers and hire new ones. Jesus knew that if Israel kept on their current path, they would be destroyed by God. And so in parables like this, he's forcing people to make a decision about his offer of God's kingdom. Are people going to reject him, ignore him, or trust and follow him? Now, if this message of God's kingdom is so important, why cloak it in parables? Why not be more clear? Well, through riddles and parables, Jesus could make really bold claims that revealed truth to people who were open-minded. For those who have ears to hear, they could ponder it and go deeper. But the parables would also conceal his message from those who were against him, so that he could buy more time. Buy time? For what? Well, Jesus was preparing his closest followers for the greatest surprise yet. Jesus claimed that Israel's God was coming to rule over his people not through coercion or violent force, but through self-giving love as he was going to die for their sins. But his death wasn't the end. Right. He said that his death would be like a tiny seed buried in the ground. But then it would grow and produce a crop with many seeds. So these parables, they explain who Jesus was and what he was up to. And the gospel authors have preserved these parables so that now every generation of Jesus' followers can read and ponder them. And imagine how God's kingdom is still at work even today. Right. These ancient parables are still full of new surprises and challenges. They're like a storehouse packed with treasures, some that are new, some that are old, and it's all just waiting to be discovered. So now that we know how to read parables, let's read one. Um, and the parable I'm going to read today is in Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, Pass by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I get back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, he said? The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Okay, so let's break apart this um, this incident here, this part of scripture, Lord, starting with the, with the lawyer's two questions. Question one, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus replies with his own question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Why did Jesus reply with a question? Uh, there's a book out there called that Jesus asked 183 questions and only answered three. Um, but then when you look at the uh, the the um, the, uh, you know, the Amazon reviews, it says, well, there's actually eight in the, in the text. So I'm like, it's okay. There's a handful of questions he answered directly of those 183. Um, but anyways, uh, to ask the question when um, in response to a question is called the Matuic uh, method, which is Greek for midwifery, a method used by Socrates, who um, was 400 years before Christ. And it, the idea is to bring out late ideas and concepts into the discussion by birthing them. That's why it's called midwifery. Um, the lawyer replies with two scriptures. The first one, Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then he follows with your neighbor as yourself, which is a portion of Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus' reply to this was, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But did the lawyer really follow Deuteronomy 6.5? In the next chapter, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he tells us to pray, your kingdom come. Was the lawyer really seeking God's will if he was asking a question on, how little do I need to do to get into heaven? Isn't that a bit of a self-centered question? Luke writes that the lawyer was actually testing Jesus, not seeking answers to be um, more holy. So, let's look at question two. After finding out that um, if he loves his neighbor, he's going to heaven, he then decides to ask, and who is my neighbor? A common teaching in that day was that neighbors were, um, for those scriptures that we just read, were only the righteous. You didn't have to consider the unrighteous your neighbor. And so he was trying to see if that's what Jesus was going to allow him to do. But was he really treating Jesus as his neighbor? Was testing Jesus a neighborly act? Was it instead an act of pride? Hey, look, I got beat, I beat this guy up verbally. Or animosity, that'll teach him. 
maybe he considered Jesus unrighteous, so he wasn't his neighbor. Anyways, Jesus replies with a parable. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Let's look at Matthew 13, 10 through 17. This is in most of the Gospels, or I think all but John, but this is the one that's uh, expansive the most. So let's look at that one. Uh, then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Thus they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for you they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. That's Matthew 13, 10 through 17. So parables allow Jesus to teach so that those that were seeking the kingdom would hear and understand the principles, but those who were anchored in the status quo would misunderstand them, or only be able to say, be suspicious of him and not accuse him. Um, I like science fiction, and in the 60s, there was a lot of good science fiction on TV, particularly The Twilight Zone and Star Trek, the original series. I know I'm revealing my cable, pre-cable viewing habits back then, reruns were in syndication, and my age by that, what's my that? But um, they could tell a story in their fictional worlds that would not be allowed in the real world. They could deal with nuclear war, racism, or oppression that could not be told in real dramas. One of my favorite Star Trek episodes is uh, called Taste of Armageddon, and it has to do with the fact that a society has sanitized nuclear war so that it doesn't destroy the buildings, only the people. And so Captain Kirk uh, makes it so that they have to make a decision on uh, not destroying the buildings and the people together. So, um, like that, Jesus taught lessons that um, could only be heard in parable. So, a man fell among the robbers, is the first thing we find out about this in this parable. A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, the lawyer would expect this man to be a fellow Jew, his neighbor. He was going from the capital of, of Israel um, to another Jewish city, so most likely he would be a Jew. The road between Jerusalem and Jericho is 18 miles and has an elevation change of 3,200 feet. Um, that elevation change is important if you're actually walking by foot. If you're in a modern car, it doesn't matter. Um, but um, I went on my first hiking trip out to the Rockies. Um, my brother and I, as a test, went to Eagle Mountain, the tallest point in Minnesota. And it's not that tall. <laughs> but it is 23 feet. Of elevation, and it's 15 miles away from the lowest point in Minnesota, Lake Superior. The trail is not that long, it's only about five miles. Um, so that's a difference of 1,700 feet. 
So the road to Jerusalem and Jericho was almost twice as steep as the point from the lowest point of Minnesota to the highest. And unlike Minnesota, it was also full of rocky terrain, which was great for ambushing unsuspecting travelers. So this man was left for dead. He was going to die if he did not receive help. So then a priest arrives. Oh, that sounds like a good thing. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Let's break this up a little bit. Now by chance. Sounds like a good fortune for the victim, huh? I mean, when you hear by chance, you're thinking, oh, some friends met unexpectedly, or, hey, I saw a, a, an animal walking across the road that's unusual in this area. I wish it was hunting season, if you're a hunter. But um, you usually don't hear, now by chance, he got hit by a truck. It's just not what we usually hear in that um, situation. So, the man was already injured, and his chances did not improve with meeting the priest. Next, going down that road. That means the priest was going to Jericho from Jerusalem. He did not need to stay ceremonially clean. Growing up in church, that's what I heard was his excuse. I remember that explanation being that the priest didn't want to be ceremonially unclean for the temple. But he was going the wrong way. He just did not want to be bothered. And then he didn't even want to get near the man. He passed by on the other side. So if he was on the left side of the road, he suddenly went over to the right. So he was not following the Old Testament scriptures of helping those in need. I have three examples here. First one is in Isaiah 1, 16 through 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from you before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's clause. The victim was oppressed by the robbers, but the priest would not correct it. And then Isaiah 58, 9b through 10. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your finger, and the speaking weakness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as noonday. Now, noonday doesn't have much gloom in most, um, especially not in, in the Mediterranean area there. So this injured man was inflicted, and if he was conscious, he would like to be helped. And then finally, Proverbs 3.27, which is probably the most um, popular one. I even remember hearing this in a VeggieTale video. Um, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. The priest had the power to help, but he withheld it. Oh, next comes a Levite. Now, Levites are those that um, were in the tribe of, of Moses. So the priests were uh, descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And then the rest of that tribe were the Levites, which were supposed to help with the service in the temple. So certainly this guy is going to help them. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Jesus does not say which direction the Levite was traveling. He may have actually been going to the temple. But if he was going to the temple, he chose his religion, being ceremonially clean, over humanity. 
loving his neighbor. Now, one thing we should know is that he'd only be ceremonially unclean if the man had died. So he didn't even want to check to see if the guy was living. And then he goes and passes on the other side. Again, he didn't want to get near him. He didn't want to be bothered. And then we get to Jesus' point. But a Samaritan felt compassion for him. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, Samaritans were a mixed ethnic group of Israelites and um, people that were forcibly resettled there by Assyria when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. We see this in verse in 2 Kings 17, 24. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, <coughs> Kutha, Abba, Hamath, and Sepharibim. Sorry, I didn't look these up ahead of time to know how to pronounce them. And placed them in the cities of Samaria, instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. Now, God wasn't very happy about that, so things were happening to these people. So the king of Assyria sent a priest over, and that's told in verses 28 and 29. One of the priests who had carried away, who had been carried away from Samaria, came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities that where they lived. Um, and then, so they were teaching a different manner than the Jesus that the Jews were teaching in their um, beliefs because they mixed their own God's uh, practices in there with it. Uh, Jesus told the the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus accentuating there that the, um, the Samaritans weren't worshiping truly as um, that he would like. And then a couple verses earlier in that conversation, the woman, it says, our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So at that point, they were worshiping on their mountain called Mount Gerizim, and the Jews were worshiping in the temple. So this is another reason why the um, Samaritans and the Jews did not get along with each other because they had uh, religious um, conflict, kind of like what we had in Northern Ireland with the Protestants and the Catholics there. And so the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, which um, the woman says in verse 9 of John 4, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask of me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaria. So now that we know what a Samaritan is, let's get back to the parable. So Samaritan tended the wounds and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He went up to him and bound him up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Luke 10.34 So first, the Samaritan bandaged his wounds, pouring oil, which would be a protective ointment, and wine, and disinfected on them. This was first century realistic care. 
um, displaying the love that Jesus was teaching. He let him ride on his own animal. It's unidentified, but it was probably a donkey, to the inn. And there he cared for him through the night. The Samaritans had their own translation of the Torah, and he was, which is the first five books of uh, the Hebrew Bible, the first five books of the Christian Bible also. And he was following the command in Leviticus 19, 33 through 34, to love the foreigner. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do, do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See the irony in Jesus' audience? A heretic Samaritan was following the Old Testament law better than the anointed priest or Levite. Also, so much for only the righteous being your neighbor as it was taught in those days. And then the Samaritan paid for the innkeeper to continue the care for the man. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, you more, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So he gave him two denarii. That would be, each denarii is about approximately a one day's wage. And in the exchange of the day, that would have been about a month's day at the end. And then he gave the innkeeper instructions to care for the man. And he also promised to pay for any extra expense to the innkeeper. Now, innkeepers in Jesus' society had a very poor reputation. Um, the Samaritan, by promising to pay for any additional expense, was leaving himself open to be swindled which added an additional layer onto the Samaritan's love. Okay, so now we're going to see what was Jesus' final question in response to this parable. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? In verse 36. Jesus reversed the question, not who is my neighbor, but who was the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? implying, do you love God enough to love like this outcast? The lawyer's reply was, the one who showed mercy. He would not acknowledge that the outcast was the one who showed mercy by saying Samaritan. Jesus' concluding command was, you go and do likewise. This command brings back the teaching to the original question, how do I get eternal life? Love like this outcast, and you will inherit the kingdom of God. It is important to realize how shocking that was for the day, for an outcast in a society of very structured and very honor-cast type of um, society, for the outcast to be the hero in this parable. You know, in today's English, a Samaritan is a person who is generous in helping those in distress, a humanitarian. But it wasn't in Jesus' day. In Jesus' society, he was a heretic and a mixed-blood outcast when purity was important. That is why the title of this lesson was not The Good Samaritan. Many of Jesus' parables have become so domesticated with their frequent use, frequent use that when studying the parables, I recommend trying to find an alternate name for them to extract out more meaning, more of the original meaning from them. If you go back to the first verse when the... Um, Samaritan is introduced. It says, 
But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So, the compassionate traveler. He was journeying, so he was the traveler, and he had compassion. So he was the compassionate traveler is how I came up with that um, title for today. So, let's look at the structure and the message of this parable. And this is where I am relying mostly on this book. Everywhere else is a mixture of my own studies, my other resources in this book. But here, this is pretty much the book here. Um, we have three main characters. We have the Samaritan, the injured man, and the priest and Levite. As one character, essentially, because they do this identical things. Each main character represents their class in society. The injured man is the average man that meets misfortune and needs help. The priest and the Levite are the religious classes, including the lawyer who answered, asked the question, and the Pharisees who were often testing Jesus too. And then the Samaritan, the outcasts of societies who are truthfully our neighbors. And then the three main principles we can get from this um, parable is religious position or regulation does not excuse ignoring those in need, like the priest and Levite. Compassion should be given to anyone in need, regardless of religious or ethnic differences. This is the compassionate foreign traveler. And we need to show love to those even though they may despise us. The injured man, if he was a typical Jew of his day, would have looked down on the Samaritan as someone who wasn't following the true teachings of the Torah. Okay, let's look at the application. Jesus spent most of his time answering the question, and who is my neighbor? And not the question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Where are our priorities? All right. Is it heaven and eternal life, or the kingdom of God here on earth? The good news of the gospel is that the kingdom of God is here with us on earth. If we prioritize our heavenly reward, we are limiting ourselves to much less than God wants for his church. The parable is about a physical need, the man who was beaten up by robbers and left for dead. But we should not limit ourselves to the natural. We should look for opportunities to assist our neighbors with their spiritual needs too. Are we being a sufficient witness for Christ to our neighbors? Are we truly loving them? And then, do we have any religious excuses for not helping our neighbors? We should not limit ourselves to helping only other believers, like some experts of the law in the first century. That is the reason why I like Feed My Starving Children. They partner with Christian ministries, but the food is available to all that are in need. Even going to countries that oppose the gospel, by, like North Korea. Right. What difference makes us less likely to help someone? Our neighbors may not look like us, talk like us, look like us, vote like us, or even pray like us. But that does not stop them from being our neighbors. And then finally, do we love our enemies? Do we actually have enemies, or are they just perceived? Today's society is so hyper-divided, much of it driven by the media and the internet, 
Shouldn't the church be an oasis from it? If Jesus could forgive those that hung him to a cross, what is hindering us from loving those that may despitefully use us? I'm going to be available for questions after this lesson. Um, we have plenty of time. <laughs> I told them that usually my notes run to 12 pages. This one only ran to 9, and that's why I added the video. That still gave us extra time. So anyways, talk amongst yourselves. Have a good day, and God bless. Amen.